If you would take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. We've already heard the text read. I just want to take us back there and ask you if you would just to keep your Bible open for the next few moments as we look through this text together. I want to consider this morning a mind set on the things of God. When I was a teenager, there was a t-shirt that went around and a saying that everybody started using, and it may have been older than even when I was a teenager, you've probably heard it before, it says, no pain, no gain. Everybody I knew had a t-shirt like that, and we knew what it meant, that if you wanted something that was worth having, you had to do something, it was going to cost you something to get it. My dad would always say to me growing up, I remember from when I was just a small child, dad would teach me, anything worth having, son, is worth working for. It's the same principle. You're going to have to work for something. It's going to cost you something if you really get something that is worth having. Now, let's bring that to us today. You know in your own life. I'll just give you two quick examples. Some of us uh, think often about uh, what it means to have a healthy body. Here comes summer. We're in March and you're thinking about summer and you want to put off some pounds that you've gained over the winter or whatever and you need to lose a little bit of weight. So whether you're just wanting a lean figure or whether you just, you're thinking about, hey, if I could get a, a six-pack of abs here, you know, and I could, I could uh, sport some bulging biceps, you know that that's going to cost you something. You have to deny yourself Krispy Kreme donuts, for example, uh, if you're going to do something about your lean body. You're going to have to give up sweet tea and Dr. Pepper and Mountain Dew if you're going to do something about that. We deny ourselves something and we have to add something. And for me, the adding something is even harder because it means that I'm going to have to eat vegetables and drink water. You know, And that's just as hard. It's going to cost you to get that. We deny ourselves sleep and television in order to get up early and go to the gym and do cardiovascular or other kinds of workouts. So you deny yourself something to gain something. For those of you who are taking our Financial Peace University class, you know that Dave Ramsey in that class has this saying that kind of sticks out there, and it is you've got to live like nobody else in order to live like nobody else. So if your goal is financial independence or, or financial uh, security, then he's saying you've got to live like nobody else. You've got to give up some things. You can't just go out to eat and spend your money without a budget and not pay attention to what's going on in your budget. You've got to live like nobody else so that you can live like nobody else, so that you can get this financial security that you're going after. You have to deny yourself some things in order to gain some things. While we may not all do that, amen, we may not all do either of those, we all know what it takes. We know that it costs us something to get something. So then, I want to ask you one question. If we know no pain, no gain, let me ask you this. What do you want, what do you desire more than anything else? And what's it going to cost you to get it? What do you desire more than anything else? And what is it going to cost you to get it? Maybe I should ask it this way. Are you willing to pay the price in order to get it? In our text today, Jesus is going to show us the only real sensible answer to that question. What do you desire most? What do you really want? And then He's going to show us how to get it. 
And so I want to call your attention to the text. If you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a study of the Gospel of Matthew. And we've come to this portion of the text at a great time on Resurrection Sunday because Jesus is teaching us even about His death, burial, and resurrection in this text. So last week, we saw that Jesus gave His disciples a test. He was alone with the disciples in uh, a northern part of uh, north of Galilee up in a Gentile area, teaching his disciples, and he looks at his disciples, and he gives them this test, and he says to them, who do you say that I am? And we said last week, that's one of the most important questions that you'll ever answer, and I'll say to you again, every one of us is going to have to answer that question, who is Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? And so he gave them that test, and when he asked them, what do you really believe about Jesus? Who do you say that I am? Peter, speaking on behalf of all the disciples, answered him, and he answered him the right answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, in response to that answer, Peter, you're blessed, for you can't get this information on your own. No flesh and blood has shown you this. This could only come from my Father revealing this truth to you. So he's saying to Peter, you get it. This is the climax of this section of the Gospel of Matthew. Peter, you get it. I am the Messiah. I have come to redeem. I have come to be the fulfillment of all that God has told us. Jesus is the Messiah and they finally get it. He's the promised one of God. The one that has been promised for all of time. From Genesis chapter 3, God said, I will send someone to redeem, to pay the price for sin, to overcome death on behalf of mankind. And Jesus is saying, Peter is confessing, you are that one, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, you get it, Peter. He is the seed of the woman who will crush the head of Satan. He's the anticipated prophet of God, the Redeemer, one who will come from heaven and start, proclaim, build the kingdom of God. And you get it. And then in 16, verse 20, right before our text this morning, look at it with me. Jesus commands them not to tell anyone that He is the Christ. Now if Jesus says, Peter, you get it, why is He saying to them, but don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone, guys, that I am the Christ. Because while they confessed rightly that Jesus is the Messiah, they did not yet know all that that means. And so now in our text this morning, Jesus proceeds to show them about what Messiahship means. And so this morning, you and I are going to look at what does it mean to be a Messiah? And then how can we follow this Messiah? You see, they had thoughts of glory, of power, of dominion, of strength, of a kingdom that lasts forever, of a king sitting on the, the, the throne of David. And all of this is true. They had visions of seeing victories over the, the enemies of Israel. They had visions of seeing God bring about the flourishing of His people. And they interpreted that as national Israel over the current regime which was wrong they saw these miraculous victories and thought this is what messiah means and so jesus says don't tell anyone because i'm going to show you what it means you don't get yet what it means to be a messiah all that we've said is true about the kingdom of heaven and the messiah who is going to start the king but not in the way that they had envisioned it as true you see the messiah's enemies were not primarily the romans 
The Messiah's battles were not primarily against flesh and blood. The Messiah's reign was not going to come in the way that they expected. So today, let's look together at this text and look at what it means to be a Messiah and what Jesus teaches us about it. And I want to teach you two things that I believe Jesus shows us in this text. Number one, what it means to be the Christ, the Messiah. What does it mean to be the promised one of God who is bringing a new kingdom that will last forever? And then secondly, what does it mean to follow that kind of Messiah? So first, let's look at verse 21. Jesus shows us what kind of Messiah He really is. In verse 21, the Bible says, from that time. There's a transition here that we saw even earlier. It's a pretty major transition in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus' public ministry is now going to be brought down and focused on His disciples. So from here on, we're going to focus a ministry on the disciples of Jesus, and He's going to teach them about what He is going to go through and what it means to be a Messiah from that time. This transition is a significant change that you and I need to mark in our minds as we come into this study that Jesus is going to focus there. And He begins, the Bible says in verse 21, He begins to show them something. Look at it. Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. You see, what Jesus is really teaching them, friends, is that the kind of Messiah that He is, is one that is going to suffer many things, to be killed and to be raised. Their view of Messiahship, of what it meant to be a king, was one who reigned forever. One who would be a king that would overcome Rome. Jesus was saying, it's not all glory. The Messiah that you need, the Messiah that has come from God, is not all glory. It is going to include some significant suffering because I am going to redeem, I am going to bring an eternal kingdom, and to do so, I must suffer. The disciples thought, well, the opposition that you're coming against, that's just an inconvenience that we're facing. You will, in your miraculous way, have just splendor and majesty as you overcome what you need to overcome to be the king who sits on the throne, to make Israel great again. And so Jesus says a couple of things to them here. He begins to show them first in verse 21, He must go to Jerusalem. He's in the northernmost part of His ministry. Of all the ministry of Jesus, He's in the northernmost part, and now He's going to go south. He's going to start this journey south to Jerusalem. And so through this journey, we're going to see Him go through Judea, back through Galilee, into Judea, and go into Jerusalem where He will suffer at the hands of the Sanhedrin, where He will die on a cruel Roman cross, and where He will, as He says here, be raised. Notice with me in this text that Jesus says He must suffer. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 10, it was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation, that is Jesus the Messiah, perfect through suffering. Jesus must suffer. 
The Bible teaches us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That you and I, if we are to come into this kingdom, if we are to live forever, if we are to have salvation, we must have someone to overcome the price of our sin, to overcome death, and to do so, He must die on our behalf. Because the price of sin, the Bible teaches, is death. So there will be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And our Savior had to go to the cross. He must suffer that we might live. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, which means, friends, there is no true deliverance. There is no true life. There is no forever kingdom if sin is not taken care of. So Jesus must go to the cross. If what is needed most for us to live forever in relation to our great God is forgiveness, then a death must occur. And Jesus is saying, I am that Messiah to overcome your worst enemy. And your worst enemy is not your spouse, it's not your co-workers, it's not your boss, it's not your friends, it's not the Middle East, it's not anyone in this world. The worst enemy that any of us have is sin and death. And we're all bound to sin and death by sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so for us to have eternal life, someone must come overcome our worst enemy. And that is Jesus who must suffer. He says He must suffer many things. If we reflect for just a moment on that Good Friday when Jesus was crucified, you'll remember with me that He suffered many things. This was no light affliction. Your Savior and mine hanging on the cross after a makeshift trial, nailed to a cruel Roman cross after being beaten, after having a crown of thorns jammed upon His head in mockery of His kingship, hanging there, bleeding for you, dying, giving His last breath for those of us who need life, who need forgiveness. Jesus gave His life for you and for me. Listen to the way the book of Isaiah describes that very suffering. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before the shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered him that He was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of His people. Yet, it was the will of God. It was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He has put Him to grief. When His soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see His offspring. He shall prolong His days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. My friends, our Savior suffered much for us. Messiah that you and I need is not a Messiah who would come and overcome one nation. The Messiah that you and I needed was a Messiah that did not only have glory, but received glory through suffering. 
And so if you're looking for a Messiah that doesn't suffer, then you're not looking for a Messiah that will give you eternal life. Because if death doesn't occur, you and I can't have life. The Bible teaches that Jesus must suffer. And here in Matthew chapter 16, He shows His disciples He must suffer. He must be killed. And then He will be raised. That is not the end. The death is not the end. He will be raised from the dead. That's why you and I have gathered because Jesus is alive. Notice here, it's a passive verb. He will be raised. The disciples though, they didn't get past the He will be killed part. They heard that and Peter speaking again on behalf of the disciples. He takes Jesus aside. The Peter who had just said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He takes Him aside and He rebukes Him. He says, Jesus, may it never be. This can never happen. He uses a double negative there. No, not ever. Jesus, this can't ever happen. This will never happen. This is not the way of a Messiah of Israel. Any Messiah that we have would reign. He would not suffer. This is not the way of kings. They don't suffer. They rule. And so Jesus is rebuked by Peter. You see, the disciples understood perfectly well what Jesus was saying. He was talking about dying. And the one who confesses Jesus' Messiahship, but then He arrogantly comes about and claims, I know more of God's will than you do. Jesus, You are Messiah, but this is not what Messiahs do. This morning, my friend, let me help us to understand our Messiah suffered. He died. And He rose again. And this is the kind of Messiah that you and I need. You see, the kind of Messiah that you're looking for and that I'm looking for really is one that would die. My friends, Christianity is a bloody religion. It's one in which our King shed His blood so that we might live. Friends, this is our Messiah. Notice what Jesus does. He turns to Peter very briefly. He turns to him and says, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. What you and I needed was a substitute who would die. And Peter is putting before him yet again a temptation to not suffer. Jesus, Messiahs don't suffer. Kings don't suffer. And Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. You see, Jesus' death is so central to God's plan that to try to avoid suffering, to try to avoid the work of Jesus on the cross is nonetheless than going around and creating something that God never intended. It would be from the evil one himself is what Jesus is saying. A few moments earlier, Jesus called Peter a rock. Now He calls him a different kind of rock, a scandal on a, a stumbling block. You are one who is a stumbling block. You see, the true Gospel of Jesus Christ is a stumbling block to many. Peter here is being a stumbling block to Jesus. The word there in the Greek, scandalon, is a stick which springs a trap. And you, you hit that stick or you move that stick and the trap closes. And Jesus says, Peter, for you to tell me that I can be a Messiah, for you to put that before me, that I could be king without dying, that I could be Messiah without suffering, is the same thing that Satan did back in Roman, or excuse me, back in Matthew chapter four, when he tempted Jesus, offering him kingship without suffering. 
My friends, there is no kingship without the suffering of our great God. And I want you to know this morning that our great God sent His one and only Son. He did not spare His only Son so that you and I might have life. And so, look at what He says in the end of verse 23 with me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. God's ways are not our ways. If you were to say to me this morning, Pastor, I don't know about this suffering Jesus. Let me remind you that you and I know the reality of death. You already know that death is coming. You look around in this world and know death is a reality of this world. My friends, that physical death is a picture of what's happening and what has happened to us spiritually. Apart from Christ, all of us are dead spiritually. We have no hope. We have no future. And Jesus says, I will take that death. I will die for you and become the Messiah. I will overcome death by the power of God so that you might have life. And so in God's wisdom, He sent His only Son. And Jesus says here, the things of God are not the things of man. This may not be the way that you would do it, it's the way God did it. And the Bible says that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That God's ways are higher than our ways. And so friends, this morning I want you to know, you and I have a Messiah who is the exact Messiah doing exactly what God wanted Him to do, which is to come, to take on flesh, to die for us. So if being the Messiah means suffering on behalf of a sinful people to redeem them by His own blood, then I want to ask you the second question this morning, and that is, what does it mean to follow that kind of Messiah? And so the second thing that we come to beginning in verse 24 is that Jesus shows us what it means to follow Him. Jesus shows us what it means to follow Him. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone. Two things I want to say about that phrase. First, the thought here is expressed in the widest terms possible. If anyone. Secondly, not only is it wide and broad to include anyone, it means that there is no one that can come any other way. In other words, there's no other way to come. If anyone wants to come and be a part of this kingdom, here is how to do it. There's no other way to come into the kingdom. And then Jesus says, here is what it means to follow this kind of Messiah. And He says three things to them. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Me. Deny yourself. Jesus here is really speaking of disowning yourself. Denying yourself is renouncing you. It's renouncing yourself. In other words, you are either going to disown the Messiah or you're going to disown you. And this is what Peter was doing. He was disowning the Messiah. He was disowning the ways of God because he had it better. He knew better about how Jesus ought to be Messiah than Jesus did. And so this morning, friends, I want to say to you, just like Peter, just like the rest of the disciples, listen to me. You are either disowning yourself this morning or you're going to disown Christ. There's no in-between. Which one will you deny? Will you deny self? You see, it's going to cost you something to follow Christ. Will you deny yourself? Or will you deny Christ? As you're sitting here, and just as sure as you're sitting here this morning, in your own heart, in your own affections, in your own loves, in your own trust, in your own faith, you're either denying Christ or you're denying self. There is no in-between. Which is it today? Jesus says, if anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself. Who are you denying this morning? Secondly, 
there's no ambiguity in what he says next. Take up your cross. Now here you and I are sitting in the 21st century in an Easter Sunday morning service and we celebrate the cross of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, in our culture, we wear crosses around our necks. We talk about the cross all the time. But I dare say there's not one of us who has seen somebody die on a Roman cross. We've not seen somebody die in this cruel way of death. And so we really don't get it when He says, take up your cross. What Jesus is actually saying is, you are going to die. You are going to have to die like me. You die to yourself. You crucify yourself. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 20. I crucified. I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave Himself up for me. My friends, Jesus is telling the disciples, not only are you going to renounce yourself, you've got to be willing to die. Remember this? Jesus gave His life that you might have life. Now it's going to cost you to follow Him. He says, renounce yourself and die. And die. Friends, if you say this morning, I thought it was easier to be a Christian than that. I want to tell you, I want to be very clear with you this morning. It costs you everything to follow Christ. It costs you everything to be in a kingdom that will last forever. It means you die to yourself. It means you die to your desires. You die to your hopes, your dreams. And you say, what I want more than anything else is to please the God who created me. What I want more than anything in this life, what I'm willing to give everything for is Jesus, the One who gives me eternal life. And if that's you this morning, you're getting it. You're getting what the disciples were getting. You're getting the fact that you must die to self. You must give it all for Him. Renouncing yourself and taking up your cross. Now He says, and now follow after Me. Now take the steps. Come after Me. Follow after what I'm doing. And Jesus' way is not hard. You say this, or excuse me, it's not easy, it's hard. You say this morning, Pastor, that's hard. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But I want to show you three things, three arguments that Jesus makes here in the rest of this text that will help us understand why we would want to do that. Why would I want to deny myself? Why would I want to die? Why would I want to follow that kind of a Messiah? And Jesus puts them in forms of statements in the next three verses in this text. They all start with four. That is, here's what you're to do. Four. Here's why. That's what he's saying. Here's why you've got to do this. And I want to put it in forms of questions to you this morning. And I want to ask you these three questions in verses 25 through 27 as we come to a close. Why would I want to deny myself, renounce me for Jesus? Why would I want to die to myself? Why would I want to take up my cross? Why would I want to follow Him? I want to ask you three questions. And I hope you'll come to a conclusion that I've come to this morning. That many of your brothers and sisters sitting in this place have come to. And that is, it's worth everything. Here they are. Question number one. The question is simple. When do you want to lose? When do you want to lose? Look at it with me in verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What this verse is teaching you and me is simple. Listen to me. It means that you're going to lose at some point. If you're not willing to lose your life here, 
If you're not willing to give up your life here in this world, then you will give it up in the next world. If you're living for yourself and you say, I'm not willing to die. I'm not willing to renounce me. I'm not willing to renounce all that I am. I'm not willing to renounce my hopes and my desires and my ambitions. Then the Bible says, you're gaining your life here. I hope you enjoy it because you will lose it in the next life. In the one that is eternal, in the life that lasts forever, you will lose it. That's what he says. For you are either going to lose your life here or you're going to lose it in the life to come. So my friends, this morning, why would you want to deny yourself and take up your cross? Because the life to come is so much better than this life. Now let's be clear. If you believe this life is all there is, if you believe this life is so good that it's worth eternity, if you believe this life is worth you keeping, then you lose it in the future. Go ahead. Gain it here. Live it up here. That's what the Apostle Paul says. If Jesus be not raised, then let's eat, drink, and be merry because we're all going to die. But if there is an eternity, if there is a time when you and I will face a judge, if there is a time that is beyond this life, then my friends, listen, lose your life here to gain it there. When do you want to lose? Now or then? Second question in verse 26. What is eternal life worth to you? I started this entire sermon asking you, what do you desire more than anything else? If I were to put up anything that you would have said, anything that you would have said against living forever, eternal life, no sin, no sickness, no death, no disease. If I were to put up eternal life with anything that you would have said, I hope that every one of us, and I believe every one of us in this place would say, I would choose eternal life. Here, Jesus says, what's it worth to you? What's it worth to you? Remember, we started by saying, no pain, no gain. You know, the reality is that our Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ went through all the pain so that you and I could have the gain. But here He says, if you want that, then you need to give up your life. It's going to cost you everything. Look at verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Two questions stated a different way that really mean the same thing. They call out for us where we are, I think, especially in Western civilization, especially in the American culture where you and I are driven by money and materialism where we look around us and we think that gods are possessions, that we just want more and more possessions and power and comfort that those possessions bring. And Jesus says, what if you gain the whole world, but it costs you your soul? Do you know what the reality is? There's no one sitting in this room. There's no one in America that's gained the whole world. There are some that we look at and we think, oh, they're close. They're close. They've gained a whole lot. You know, you hear it all the time. Money isn't everything, but it sure does help. Money isn't everything, but it is to some people. Do you know this morning you can have nothing or you can have a whole lot and money be everything to you? Let me say that again. You can have nothing or you can have a whole lot and money be everything to you. And Jesus says if you're exchanging, if what you desire most is possessions so much that you're willing to give up an eternity, that you're willing to give up your soul in order to gain here, then what have you profited? 
The book of James tells us that this life here is but a vapor. Some of you know that. You could stand up and testify that life just passes by so quickly. You turn around and you're at 40. You turn around and you're at 60. You turn around and you're at 80. And life seems to fly by. And you know, you could testify this morning. What would it profit you if you gained the entire world? If everything that you could ever dream of owning, if everything that you could ever dream of being in this world's eyes, if you would gain all of that, what Jesus is saying, it's a bad deal to exchange that for eternity. It's a bad deal to exchange that for your soul living forever. It's a bad deal to exchange everything the world has for everything that God offers you. This morning I ask you this question. What is eternal life worth to you? What is eternal life worth to you? Jesus asked it this way, for what will it profit you if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Or what would you give in exchange for your soul? This is where we begin, isn't it? What do you want more than anything else? Eternal life? If you say this morning, I would want, a, I would want eternal life. I want to live forever. Then this morning, I want to bring you to the, to the Messiah who suffered on your behalf and says, die to self, deny yourself, and follow me. Third question. One more. Verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. I'm going to say two things about this one and ask my question. First, the Messiah who is going to suffer, He rose from the dead. God raised Him from the dead. And now, look at verse 27. The Son of Man, Jesus' favorite title for Himself. What He's saying is, I am going to come back with My angels. Look at it, with His angels. They belong to Jesus. Why? He's the Messiah. Is He going to suffer? Yes. Is He going to rise from the dead? Yes. Is He going to reign forever? Yes. Is His kingdom forever? Yes. And he says, I'm going to come back. And there's coming a day when I will come and judge. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Let me ask you this. And I close with this question. Are you ready for payday? Are you ready for payday? You see, it's coming. Just as sure as Jesus came and walked in this world and took on flesh and lived a life, and as sure as He did the ministry that we're reading about, and as sure as He went to a Roman cross and died, and as sure as He rose from the dead on the third day, and as sure as you and I are worshiping a living Jesus Christ this morning, there's a day when verse 27 says, Jesus has said, I will come. And it will not be as a suffering Messiah. It will be in the glory of my Father. Oh, my friend, there is suffering for this Messiah, but there is glory in what He has done. He has overcome death on your behalf. And He has said to us, I am giving you an opportunity to repent. I'm giving you an opportunity to believe. But there's coming a day when payday will show up and you will be given the payment for what you have done. So now go back. What's it worth to you? What's it worth to you, friends? You will stand before the Lord. We all will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ as the judge of all judges, as the judge of every living person that's walked upon this earth, as the judge of everybody sitting under this tent this morning. And you will be given either life eternal or death eternal. Life eternal, what Jesus won for us on the cross, forgiveness. 
Sins forgiven. Disease no more. Death no more. Eternal life and an eternal kingdom because Jesus overcame death. Or you'll be given eternal punishment. The death that you said you wanted. The death that you exchanged life here for. The death that you denied when you took your life here and said, it's mine, I'm going to live it the way I want to. Friends, are you ready for payday? It's coming. Jesus is returning. And when He comes, you and I will stand before the risen King who will be King forever, who overcame death, hell, and the grave, so that then He in His glory would reign forever. Friends, we proclaim a forever kingdom. And you and I will stand before this forever judge. And my final question is, are you ready for payday?